Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Backyard Professor videos on Mormonism. I gave a series of lectures on the ancient mother goddess throughout the ancient historical cultures of various old countries a few years back, and I would like to share one of the, the basic introductory lecture where I discuss uh, a few of the symbolisms the meaning and the importance of this mother goddess symbol as well as religious icon because every woman came to know that she was a goddess and had a vital role to play in the society and this is this is the information that you will not hear in church because Churches don't want you women to understand this, nor we men. Uh, for whatever reason, the patriarchal apparatus is too myopic, too power-hungry and greedy for attention, and therefore here is another guy lecturing to guys and gals. But if all of humanity are involved in our spiritual evolution. Not as the men patting the women on the head and saying, oh, you're such a good girl, now go off and do your duties. No, I mean direct involvement in a conjunction, in a union of effort to save ourselves on this planet. The sources of springs and rivers and wells in old Europe was thought of as the wellsprings of life because of the belief in the sacredness of life-giving water. We still hear of living water, which imparts strength, heals the sick, rejuvenates the old, restores sight, and reassembles dismembered bodies and brings them back to life. In the historical sources, whether Roman, Greek, Celtic, or the Baltic, we find goddesses and nymphs connected with streams, rivers, and wells. All the figurines of various water goddesses at streams testify to the belief in the curative powers of the mineral water emanating from the source. This is where the Roman name for Aachen came from. The Roman found a number of hot springs and one in the northeast was called aqua grani, grainy water, because of its high mineral content. And this became part of Germany later on. This time, the aqua persisted in its present name, Aachen. This was Charlemagne's capital in the 800s. Everyone understands that the breaking of the waters of the womb signals the coming birth of a child. The goddess in Neolithic times was thought to be the source of the life-sustaining waters that fell from the sky as rain and welled up from the ground in springs, lakes, and rivers. And as the path of the stars in the Milky Way seen at night suggests a nourishing stream emanating from her breasts, so the earth was thought to have been encircled by waters that when they fell impregnated her so that she could give birth. In Neolithic and Paleolithic art, when the various parts of the goddess's body were beginning to be portrayed, breasts, buttocks, belly, vulva, it was a time when people didn't understand the biological procession of reproduction. The goddess was the cosmic creatrix, life and birth giver. The various parts of her body were those endowed with the miraculous powers of procreation, Hence the emphasis of those parts of her body in art and sculpture in the early times. One of the symbols of water of the goddess in the meandering sign as well as zigzags, the shape of the letter M, etc. And as Gimbutas puts it, the graphic way to represent the pubic triangle is rendered as a V, which is called a chevron. This became the main symbol for the bird goddess way back into Paleolithic times. The bird goddess as a whole had many functions, 
and some of her symbols, such as the tri-line, three lines together in a grouping, a net, a triangle, and a snake, are thus trans-functional. They are associated with life, creation, and regeneration. Even in the many cultures today, the snake is a symbol of the life force. It's not the body of the snake that was considered according to Gim Buddhist, but the energy exuding out of this coiling serpentine form. Cernunos is amongst the snakes and the deer that shed their antlers. The snake sloughs its skin in the cosmic cycle just exactly like the moon sloughs its skin through its cosmic cycle on earth as it is in heaven, just the different symbolisms. The idea is it grows it back again. And any deity that can show itself as an animal can show itself as a human, as I've said. If you have a real mythological tradition here, the emphasis is not on the form of the god, but on the energy of the god. This is what is important. The energy can show itself in any variety of forms, animal, human, the form of a rock right here. I could be sitting in the lap of the mother goddess right here in a mythological tradition. All kinds of forms. This same energy of coiling and spiraling is in the spirals growing vines, the trees themselves that I love to be in phalluses and stalagmites, but it's especially concentrated in the snake. The snake was something primordial and mysterious, coming from the depths of the waters where life itself begins. Its seasonal renewal and sloughing off of the old skin and hibernating made it a symbol of the continuity of life and of the link with the underworld. The symbols of the snake goddess are very much the same as the bird goddess symbols, the intimate exchange between the snake coils and the ram's coils on the ram's horn. These are seen in many ancient figurines. Figures of snakes on Neolithic clay stamps are also known. The serpent is usually associated with the tree, of course, and we have the story of Genesis. We have the story of the Hesperides from the ancient Greeks. It's either been seen as either immortal or else evil. In Greek legend, the serpent coiled around the tree symbolized fertility, another aspect of the goddess, of course. In the Judeo-Christian heritage, the serpent has been seen as usurping man's rightful immortality and has therefore been cursed. But this idea of the snake as evil is a rather later development over the original ideology that surrounded this wonderful deity. Yes, both good and evil aspects concerning the snake emerge, but then at the very same good and bad aspects come about concerning the god as well as the goddess in every single culture. And I have arrived at one of the most important parts of this video. Rather than focusing on the form of the ancient symbols of Mom, the snake, the bird, the triangle, the zigzags, etc. Don't worry about the form, our bodies, the trees and shelves, the books, the table, the chair, the camera, the light. Shifting our perspective we go from focusing on the form, the it, the thing, 
we focus to the thou. We go from it to thou. And that's the key to mom. What is mom? Mom is not the form. She is the energy. The eternal energy of all things, which is the vibration of life, the process is what is eternal, and we are that process of movement, vibration, existing through eternity in time. We are not I. That's the ego. We are Thou. We are the eternal process of existence. The symbols point us beyond the forms to the energy. That's why the study of symbolism is so remarkable. Whether you study it through the tarot cards, through dice, through books, pictures, sculptures, paintings, it does not matter. What matters is we shift our focus. We've let, especially for you women, not in the spirit of rebellion, not in the spirit of anger or fight or hate. We've let the male indicate to us reality when in truth it is but a part. The whole is to shift away from both the male-female, the dichotomy, into the unity of the male and the female, into the eternal process of being. And I know this sounds very mystical. All things, that's why I love being among the trees and the rocks and the rivers and the lakes, the bugs and the birds, the air and the clouds, the mountains and the plains. All things are vibrating with this process, this eternal process of living. Nothing is still. It's all process, which we are part of. Mom is that eternal energy of birthing and rebirthing. She is identified as that vibrating process. And whatever symbols have attached to her because she is the creatrix. She is the birther, as women are. She births the cosmos. Rather than arguing to have your worship, your prayers, your love, desire, fulfillment with mom in public arenas, church, politics, 
whatever. That's just ego playing. Because all things pass away through the process of time. They are not eternal. The eternal is not me, this form. The eternal is thou, the entire cosmic process. We identify with that to recognize Jesus' statement, the kingdom of God is throughout the world, and we don't see it. Because the kingdom of God is also within us. We are part of that vibratory process of eternal life fluctuating, flowing through the forms of time. Don't identify with those forms. Me, this body, stuff, advertisements for things on television and radio. That's all a distraction. The Hopis and the Navajos have it right. We are too distracted. We've lost the vision of mom. That's what I want to return to, as well as return to you. So, getting back to this serpent-snake symbolism of the goddess, both the good and the evil aspects concerning the snake emerge, but then the very same good and bad aspects come about concerning the god as well as the goddess in every single culture. Concentrating on one exclusively does not ensure a proper understanding of any of them, and what we've done is we focused in the past on the terrible aspects of the bloody deity Yahweh in the Old Testament, not realizing that perhaps there's more symbolism here than literal historical reality. There's more than one way to read the ancient records. One of the approaches to Homer's Odyssey is as an initiation ceremony that each individual reading through that magnificent epic, which I would highly encourage you to do, is an initiation, if you have the correct focus. Don't worry about whether it really happened or not. What does it mean to you? Connect the symbolisms in antiquity with the adventure of Odysseus. It's the same thing with the Old Testament, with the symbolisms of the mother goddess, the theme of the mother, birth, regeneration, rebirth. Hera has bird aspects to her, as we learn in Homer's Iliad. Two goddesses actually did. Hera and Athena went forth with steps resembling those of shy doves. Should they equate them with doves? Hera is associated with the serpent with her votive offering, interestingly, in her sanctuary taking the form of terracotta snakes. She thus has roots going back as far back as the old European bird goddess as well as the old European snake goddess. One of the most famous symbols during With the Snakes has come up to us in our day, and this is, of course, the caduceus, the intertwined snakes of the medicine industry. It's, they're interwound around a long pole which represents the cosmic axis mundi. The symbolism gets complicated, but it comes through the old European symbolism of the mother goddess. Hermes has the caduceus. That's his symbol par excellence besides his slippers with the wings because he is the swift messenger of the gods, of course. He's the psychopompus. He is the guide of souls. Very interesting. He's the good shepherd 
who would lead the flocks. The symbol of the caduceus, which was a gift from the sun god Apollo, interestingly, is called in the Orphic hymns a blameless tool of peace. Oh, that's awesome. As a symbol of natural harmony now, understand this, natural harmony, it may refer to the process of psychological evolution, which occurs when the pair of opposites are allowed to interact with one another around the quiet center of the self. You notice how the symbolism works here. Starting to rain. Oh no! Rain, another mother goddess symbol. The nurturing of the earth, the water aspect of the mother goddess. Here I am giving a lecture and she is raining her approval down upon me. See, this is the way to read these things. Be involved in nature because we are it. Right? Beautiful stuff, man. Never argue against the rain. It's our drinking water. Be grateful for the treasures from heaven. Absolutely. These two. And these generative waters not only surround the universe, but they bear up the beneath the universe. They bear up the earth. And, of course, rain down from on high, like I'm getting right now. This is magnificent. This is perfect. Thank you. This is perfect. <laughs> it doesn't get better than this to know that the Mother Goddess blesses my lecture. Uh, you know, it doesn't get better than this. This is fantastic. I'm not worthy, but I'll take it. Yeah, baby. Treasures from heaven. Don't reject the treasures from heaven, man. Okay, so, the reptile. Let me see here, Rain Dev. The fluency, notice the fluency of this serpent here. It has a watery aspect, doesn't it? The water waves, the serpent waves, it suggests water. And its continually flashing forked red tongue suggests flame. Very interesting. Water and fire together in the serpent. The life-giving fire, inter interestingly, inherent in the fertilizing waters. This is set up this way. Perhaps this is why Noah, the moon man, who had sailed his moon boat on the cosmic sea, get the symbolism here. Noah, the flood, etc., his boot, his boat, his boot, his boat in ancient Babylonian and Akkadian sources was the crescent moon. That was the shape. And he was sailing on the cosmic ocean. Is there more to the flood than just a literal earth flood? Anciently, they say the actual flood was local. The, uh, the land broke away where the Mediterranean came rushing in, and the people in the Mediterranean area uh, died from that flood, and that was the origin of the Mediterranean Sea. That's one theory. It's kind of interesting. So Noah the moon man, sailing his moon boat across the cosmic sea, planted a vineyard. Immediately when the waters had abated, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. This is Genesis 9, 20 and 21. The moon is lord of the tides of life. Remember, the moon sloughing its shadow as the snake sloughs its skin. Wonderful mother goddess symbolisms here. Both the oceanic ebb and flow and the rhythm of the womb are involved here. Shedding its shadow, furthermore, as the serpent its skin, it is the high celestial sign, the moon is, of the same triumphant power of life as that represented in the serpent who is sloughing death. The Great Mother, the Regenitrix, is what she is called in many sources. Now let's keep going and see how the rest of the symbolism ties the universe together here. Notice we're talking about a universal theme. The universe is composed of both sexes of deities. With their peculiar specialties, with no matriarchy or patriarchy at all, it's all one cosmological conception.
Okay, I'm back in my study. Uh, Mom got really excited and blessed me with too much rain. <laughs> it was soaking my paper, man. Robin Lane Fox mentioned the Christian view, the so-called biblical view that we have, is not so different from the pagan view. And even before Constantine, both the Christians and the pagans have been seen as members of a common Mediterranean religious culture in whose changes the role of foreign ideas was minimal. Now it's really interesting that I think I've got it. Where is he? I'm not quite sure where I put that book. I've got another book on uh, on Jesus that says the same thing about Jesus. That's all my Gnostic stuff. I've got more crap around here than I can shake a stick at. Anyway, I'll have to find it. Is it in here? Oh, yeah, there it is. Hold on, i got to show you this. Brand new study on Jesus out just a uh, few years ago by an excellent scholar. You can't see that, can you? Jesus Deus. M. David Litwa, where he talks about the uh, the early Christian depiction of depiction of Jesus as a Mediterranean god, Jesus Deus. He wrote this in uh, 2014, Fortress Press. Excellent text, absolutely excellent. There was no difference. In fact. Uh, the new kid, I can't think of his name, I just watched several of his YouTube videos and just finished his book, uh, Marurescu, Marurescu, The Immortality Key. He talks about the continuation from the ancient Greeks all the way through to Christianity, all the way through the Middle Ages and to our day. Very interesting stuff. You need to get his book, too. So, this theme that Christianity had to be unique, Jesus had to be unique, no. That, that's just a phony start from the get-go. Uh, the churches have just been wrong to take that tack. In fact, several of the early Christian uh, fathers and emperors, actually, just simply adapted the pagan holidays and just changed the names of the deities to Jesus and Mary and all that and said, hey, see, this is ours. <laughs> they didn't do away with them. They incorporated them. That does not minimize Christianity. That emphasizes the idea that we have been seeing or trying to see the cosmological perspective for eons. Yeah, true, the men took over and lost the vision, but, you know, we can forgive them for that, I suppose, so. Well, this serpent in the Bible, the Christians, of course, the biblical, now, the biblical Jews, uh, being the patriarchal nomads that they were, also denigrated the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Of course, then that was a, that was it was not Mance's literal history. There is another meaning to that that we have lost. Well, we, the churches, have lost. Uh, as literal history, it's utter nonsense. But the serpent being the bad guy, he was made to be the fall guy, you know. That is not the general ancient Eastern, Near Eastern, nor the old European view of the serpent at all. Just so you know. Elaine Pagels researched early Christianity and she said actually there is no such thing as the early Christianity. There were many different groups of Christians who were in Jesus's day. And Jesus technically did not come to start a church. He came to give sight to the blind who had lost their already spiritual historical heritage. And that's a very important point as well. The Gnostics were one of the uh, so-called 
apostate sects, but that only came later. I, even our term Gnostic is Gnostic Gnostic. You don't even know what to call it. Uh, that's problematical. That's our description of it. But uh, Then there was the Temple of Isis. The Egyptians were in the thick of it, absolutely. Very prominent Egyptian mother goddess up into Christian times as well. Well, the Gnostics arose out of Christianity, according to some. Others claim Gnosticism and its various branches existed because the various Gnostic texts disagreed among themselves about what the early Christians were saying about them, especially Paul. It's really remarkably interesting, and Elaine Pagels has this. I was just looking at this the other day, the uh, Gnostic Paul, uh, where the Gnostics really did like the Apostle Paul, and, and they have their reasons, so... Anyway, they were arguing that the word spirit was feminine, had feminine connotations. Gnostics didn't die out. They went underground, a lot like the mother goddess does. And, and then the men think they've taken over and they've gotten away with it and all that. They haven't. Yes, for a while they become a majority view, but they don't last. The Mani branch of Gnosticism, of course, was a world force for hundreds of years. We almost became Manichaeans. Uh, Augustine did there for a while. And then, of course, he saw Christianity and declared Manichaeanism a heresy. You know, Christians are so black and white in their thinking, you know, they can't ever get the, the full picture. They have to splinter it up, and therefore they lose the, the big picture, which is what... In my opinion, Mormonism has lost the big picture. I don't know if it ever had the big picture. And that's kind of what I'm bringing to you in these videos on this Mother Goddess theme, is this is the broader, bigger, universal application of the energies of eternity as they are manifesting in time, periodically from time to time. And uh, Now, this does not do away with Dad, with God the Father, not at all. No, Mom has no need to compete with him because she's the goddess. I mean, she's the giver of life and universal blessings and the treasures from heaven, water and sunshine and all that. She gave birth to all of this blessedness, so she doesn't have to worry about being competitive. Only Dad does, and he has to do it as a warrior, you know, the storm god Yahweh and and Ball and all those guys, and they think they have to trounce everybody else to prove their machohood and all that, you know. It's a psychological issue. They need to take some uh, psychology sessions with a good psychologist, maybe with mom if they just do it, so. Anyway, and right in line, in one Gnostic text, we read that Ayal the Bayoth, disobeying his mother, idiot, produced much offspring, which in turn ended up quarreling over the rulership. Isn't this what I was just talking about, you know? The offspring was the Hebrew letter Nun, which is twisted like a snake. Very interesting here. From this snake comes both spirit and soul and all worldly things and evil, jealousy, and so on and so on. The play on an inflection of the Greek word naus uh, may be intended with the Hebrew Nun, Greek naus means intellect, presumably referring to the effective aspect of the power of that Ialdabaoth got from the mother. Notice the divine son got his power from his mother, yeah, whose offspring he was. So you, you might be able to suppress her, but you're never going to get rid of her. You can't. It's just not going to happen. Philo philosophized and intellectualized the Christian doctrines, of course, and uh, the Numa, the Logos, and Sophia in Philo were created, or, or were equated, which is real interesting. Philo assigned a masculinity to one member of the Godhood and a femininity to the other. Now, see, that's the proper balance, you know. That's what Christianity is missing today. You know, if they would just quit worrying about the philosophy of men mingled with scriptures and just start realizing that the philosophy of men with the scriptures and proper history, not faithful history, real history, they would get the full cosmological income, wouldn't they? But, you know, some of them stay short-sighted for a while, so...
G, uh, the Jewish Sophia was also wisdom, the Shekinah, a feminine principle. In fact, the wife of God, according to some Jewish traditions. So, and then the newly Dead Sea Scrolls, the mother goddess, Dale C. Allison, one of the great Dead Sea Scroll and biblical scholars, noticed that one of the fragments talked about the dove at Jesus' baptism. And this spirit was hovering over the face of the waters in Genesis. So the theme was the baptism of Jesus wanted you to recognize the creation because at baptism you are reborn. Yeah, here we go again, right? All this in the water. Yes, and the baptism waters was the river Jordan, which came from the cosmos. And, of course, it washed him clean. He had no sin, according to the record, but it did wash him clean. It bathed him in the spirit, and then the dove came upon him. Well, this dove, the same dove, the mother goddess dove, was hovering over the waters of creation in the first place before we got our bodies. So the tie-in is really sweet here. Uh, it's very interesting stuff on this. Of course, they won't teach you this in church. No, because they, they want to they wanna emphasize the men. Uh, for some reason, men are so egotistical. It's just silly. So anyway, we trigger memories of Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus was the bringer of a new creation. Right? The mother hovered over the original creation, Jesus being baptized, being raised up in the water, hearing the voice of the Father, and then the mother in the form of the dove. He was the bringer of a new creation. Very interesting. Over the chaotic waters. Yeah. Very interesting. The, Messiah, the Messianic Advent is the spirit fluttering over the waters of the Jordan. So that, that's a beautiful tie-in now. Uh... Way back into Hordy Antiquity, everything is complete and no one, no one, not God the Father, not God the Mother, and not God the Son is missing in that wonderful image at Jesus' baptism. That, that's beautiful stuff there, man. There's no rivalry here. There's just a completion of the grand family unit. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And and then, of course, the scholars wrangle about it on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The interesting thing is the mother goddess symbol is associated with one of the most intimate uh, experiences of Jesus' life, his rebirth, his baptism, which gives him a new and everlasting life. That's part of the theme of baptism, of why we also imitate that, yes, and go through it. Yeah, of course. You imitate the God to become the God, yeah? Uh, isn't that the idea behind the Eucharist? And that is Marescu's theme in his book, uh, the, the Immortality Key, that you really must read. And then the symbols of the goddess with the dove in Crete. And isn't this interesting? Crete is the homeland of the famous snake goddess. And it's in Crete that her symbol of the dove also was very prominent. So here we go again. It all ties in. And in the Apocalypse of Abraham, preserved in the old Slavonic, that's the Russian, taken from the Slavonic, from the Holy Land in early times. And then, of course, this is from the old Hebrew version and it was copied down in the 11th and the 12th centuries, probably in Bulgaria. He was following the old books of Enoch, the author of this Apocalypse of Abraham was. And then it was also, then Enoch was found in the 1946 Dead Sea Scrolls, right? So the really interesting thing about this dove symbolism in the New Testament, in light of the new research, is that Jesus now, among his contemporaries, is one of the few biblical personages who treats the women around him very well, and he brings them into his orbit of missionary work and leadership. Now, this was thrown out of the canon. We now know because we have 
the Nag Hammadi codices that were rediscovered in 1945. And in those texts, we have a gospel of Mary Magdalene, a gospel of Mary, and the Pistis Sophia, and the books of Yehu. I mean, there's all kinds of books here that discuss just that theme of the serious cooperation and prominence of the women. We only get a hint of this in the New Testament, whereas in the one account, Jesus' resurrection was attended to by Mary. She was the first one to see him resurrected. Everything else had been thrown out, changed up, not included in the canon, because they labeled them. Oh, well, those are apostates. They don't think like us. Therefore, don't include their books. Yeah, that's typical male thinking, isn't it? Pure ego. Idiots, anyway. So, anyway. Okay, now here. Okay, this is a beautiful symbol. Let's do some more. This serpent, caduceus symbol, moved on through the centuries. And in this particular symbol here that we're looking at, the large Irish stone cross is known as the cross of the Abbot Murdoch. He died in 844. And it bears on one side a caduceus-like engraving with two serpents representing the arm and the right hand. This is reaching up to rest on the halo. Now, in Indo-European thought, and this is in R.B. Onian's book, The Origins of European Thought, on the mind, the body, time, fate, the cosmos, etc. It's a fantastic book. He describes how the hand is considered to be sacred in so many ancient traditions, but especially coming down from the Greek which the Hebrews had hints of. Here we have a direct symbolism of just this. The dextra day, the right hand of God. Uh, Merce Iliada, the myth of the eternal return. You keep creating the sacred act in illo tempore, eternally, because you tie in with the cosmic cycle. This is the theme. Men and women all the way through. Today is all about image and ego. We've lost the ancient cosmological connection because we keep leaving mom out of it. She is the whole key to bringing it back. That's why I'm doing these videos. Now you don't have to get mad at the Mormon church and go, holding your breath and turning blue and stomping your feet and you know if if you enjoy the social ability of, of Mormonism and so on and so forth enjoy it man you don't have to rebel against it just recognize there's a whole lot more to it than they're letting you on to and you can discover this for yourself you can incorporate it into your own life and you don't have to tell them a spitting thing don't worry about what they think or what they want you to do. I mean, if you think you have to get a man's permission to love mom, uh, that's called brainwashed. <laughs> you know, you can wake up any time, man. You don't need anyone's permission to worship a deity. Men don't need women's permission to get to mom. Women don't need men's permission to get to mom. Men and women don't need mom's permission to get to dad. All of that silly egotistical bullshit is just worthless, you know. We're making way too big a rambunctious deal about it. Well, the treasures from the heavens, they're stored in the inner chamber of the earth goddess. Right? Here we are again. The marriage of the earth mother and the heavenly father. This rain falls in a life-giving stream into the womb of the earth, and this is the theme of the Sparsio. Yeah, we do it here on earth to imitate that which is done in the cosmos, which we are still a magnificent part of. We're not separate from it. We are it. You see, you just shift your psychology just a little bit, right? And you shift your, you shift your perspective just a smidgen, and all of a sudden the whole universe 
starts making sense. Every symbol we read about and study about in the ancient Greeks, in the ancient Babylonians, and Mesopotamians, and Egyptians, and the old Europeans, and Catholicism, and Mormonism, and the Renaissance, all of these are pointing to the same thing, namely, not literalizing the symbol. You don't concretize the symbol. You look at what it's pointing to, and what it's pointing to is us, because we are the cosmos. When you shift and realize, I'm not a thing, I am part of the process of being and becoming, then you've got it. That's the good news. You're it. See, that's what Buddhism's trying to be telling us now for centuries and millennia. We keep ignoring the East. We in the West think we've got it all figured out. We don't. It's really fascinating. Anyway, there's a lot more to this. And then I've gone through all... Yeah, I don't want to go through that. Oh, and then the Egyptian materials. And the Egyptian materials, they definitely have their snakes, Apophis, and they certainly have their battles with the snakes because uh, there is a good and an evil aspect to the snake. Kind of like the Moses with the snake, the serpent in the wilderness on the uh, staff. And, and he said, look at this. He told the people, oh, you don't want to die anymore from the plague? All you have to do is look up at the serpent. Right? You have to participate by becoming what that serpent is. Look at the serpent and live. Yeah? That's not paganism. That's Moses with the serpent staff, the caduceus, the staff of healing. You know, if you wanted to, you could imagine the burning bush where Moses received the commandments as being entwined with that male and female caduceus. The burning bush itself could be the tree of life. After all, isn't that where the words of life came out of? Right? So, you see, when you open up and you begin to receive the cosmic inspiration, which by very definition is God breathing in you with the Spirit to illuminate your mind. The inspire, God breathing in to you. The inspiration is revelation. Well, Joseph Smith taught us that for Pete's sake. If we would just begin to pay attention to it, a lot of these symbols begin making sense because they're all pointing us to the same place. Mom. Dad. Son. Of which we are. Right? When you look at it that way, you go, wow, this stuff is great. It doesn't matter which scripture you read. You can read the, the, uh, the Western canon. You can read the Eastern canon. It doesn't matter. It's all pointing to the same thing. The cosmos of which we are. Not just belong to, but which we are. That's the whole scene with the, uh, well, and then the serpent that wraps around the earth, of course, the Okeanos, the snake of the ancients, was the emblem of light. Oh, this is interesting. Yeah, the snake from the ancients' point of view was one of the emblems of light. Yeah. That is interesting. It was the mother goddess symbol that was enlightening Adam and Eve. With a fortunate fall, so many Christian churches so completely misunderstand the book of Genesis as the fall of Adam being a complete disaster. No, it wasn't. No, there's another entirely much better view to look at if we broaden our reading just a little bit, right? Yeah. Anyway, now I'm just now I'm in the Testament of Adam, the middle of the third century AD. He's told he's going to die because he listened to the serpent. So now he will become food for the serpent. But isn't that what the sacrament is? 
we ingest the deity to become the deity. Isn't that the Eucharist? This is my blood. This is my body. Eat of me and remember me. Become me through the Eucharist. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. So, you have the devil and you have the Savior. What if we looked at both of those as one of each of the snakes wrapping around the Heavenly Mother, the pole, the cosmic axis mundi, you have good and evil intertwined all as one unit because it's necessary, because the opposites must become united. Eternity has broken up into the various fragments of time of which we are experiencing at this point, but that's not the ultimate end all at all. You see how this stuff opens up? when you begin to study a little bit more broadly and just shift your perspective a little bit. Quit worrying about which religion is true and which religion is false. That's ego. That's patriarchal thinking. Quit. Drop that noise. You don't need to waste your time with that stupid stuff. Begin to approach the symbols from an all-inclusive point of view of male and female, etc., and you involved because you are them. Wow, it just opens you up. You see how that works? See, this is the fun stuff of studying the ancient stuff. You know, we keep saying today we're too damn busy going shopping so that we can buy stuff. We're focused on the it instead of the thou. And we are destroying our earth. Because we approach it as an it, not a thou. But this is our Mother Earth from which what? We come. We come out of Earth. And what does the record say? We will return to Mom. Everything opens up when you begin to think in this manner, doesn't it? And it's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's a wonderful way to study, I'm telling you. I'm rambling with the point. I'm bringing forward more and more of this. None of this was in my lecture. I quit, I quit reading my lecture about 20 minutes ago. This is all just coming to me from the flow of the universe. I'm just kind of correlating things as they pop into my mind with you here. Because it's such a wonderful way to think and study and be. Yeah, man. That's good stuff. And, and, and then drop the idea of the... Well, forget the pagan versus Christian noise, too. That Labeling doesn't give you any information. See, many of the so-called pagan aspects of religion, they were carried well on into the Middle Ages, of course. Anybody who does a little reading knows that. And we have them today. And anybody who does a little bit more reading knows that. It's not an evil. <laughs> you know, Joseph Smith said it was an apostasy. Pfft, bunk. You don't need that. that. That's a view, but I don't buy it anymore. Not at all. It's a continuation. See, we're told that the serpent Moses lifted up in the wilderness was a symbol of Christ himself. Properly so. Properly so. The serpent, the mother, the pole, the axis mundi, tied in with the Savior. Fundamentally so. Yes, yes, and yes. Scream hallelujah on that. Yeah, that's the idea. He's lifted up in the wilderness, a servant, and of course, we have the satanic serpent in the Garden of Eden, wrapped where? Around the axis mundi, the tree of life, right? So you have the good and the evil, the separation, the opposites, that eventually are going to have to become one. <laughs> That's fascinating. The concept of Alpha and Omega. Now let's look at this. Now we get into the uh, uh, the book of Revelation, right? You know, where the, where the old serpent is fighting who? The woman, right? Reread that book of Revelation. The woman, the heavenly mother, is fighting that old serpent, the devil, Satan, evil incarnate, etc. You get this idea of Jesus as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, 
which he properly is, the first and the last, this is symbolized by, guess what? The Ouroboros, the serpent, rolled in a circle with his own tail in his mouth. And this symbolizes eternity. Oh, amazing. It's reuniting itself. The beginning is in the end, right? There you have it, man. What a fabulous symbol. The circle itself. The circle of the Father. A circle whose circumference is everywhere and whose center is nowhere. See, that medieval idea doesn't sound so strange once you start appreciating the verbal aspects of the symbolism and then start visualizing them geometrically because God is what? A sphere. Yeah. Don't take that literal... Forget literal! We're talking a beautiful symbol that points us beyond to an eternal aspect. Again, of which we are. Not that we belong to, we are. This is great stuff, man. And then Moses look on the fiery serpent. Now see, the fiery serpent, this is the ancient Caduceus, the serpent of healing right? It's the staff that the blind prophet Tiresias had in order to go to the underworld. It's the staff of Hermes that gave him the ticket back out of the underworld when he went down into the underworld. Jesus as the serpent when he went to the prisoners in the dead realms in the underworld to Hades he had the authority to come back out once he taught the spirits in prison because he was the serpent. Moses, serpent in the wilderness. You see, you start seeing all these connections and you go, wow, it razzle-dazzles you. Yeah, right? It's pointing you beyond. Don't stop at the symbol. Right? You'll never look at a snake the same again, will you? They're beautiful creatures. Uh, watch out for the black mambas and the king cobras, though. You've got to show proper respect or the snake will bite you, and then you can die. The life and death is in the snake. Mom, the son, the father, Zeus, was pictured as a serpent. See, every one of them have the same symbol because every one of them represent the same thing, the eternal generation of infinity, the eternal. But we go through this thing we call time first, which is just an aspect of eternity. Yeah, I can't help it. I love this crap. No kidding, see? And this symbol was worldwide. Make no mistake, it was everywhere. India, China, Greece, Assyria, Europe, Babylon, Judaism. It was everywhere, man. New Testament. Fantastic. Now, the Greeks believed that Okeanos, now Okeanos was the serpent who uh, encircled the earth, right? So Okeanos circles the earth. He takes the form of a serpent, the Ouroboros, the snake that swallowed his tail, etc. In the Christian ideal, this became that an army fighting for God against all enemies, including animals, was associated with the devil instead of understanding the nature of the symbols. From the Hermetic writings, the Middle Ages, up to our day, both men and women researching the Bible and other literature and how it affects our lives without the built-in male biases. And how does Goethe and one of the most magnificent books ever printed about the Mother Goddess. Goethe, in his great classic book, says, All that is transitory, and this is the very last paragraph. This is how he sums up Faust. All that is transitory is merely symbolical. Here in the scene, before the inaccessible is symbolically portrayed, and the inexpressible is symbolically made 
manifest the eternal feminine. In other words, the eternal principle which women symbolize, right, draws us to higher spheres. This is his paraphrase. Another way to read this, what is destructible is but a parable. What fails ineluctably, the undeclarable. Here it was seen. Here it was action. The eternal feminine lures to perfection. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Wow, that's beautiful. Because she is the process of birth, death, and regeneration. Exactly as the sun is also. Exactly as the father is also. And the trinity, father, mother, son, is one. And that's what we are. Also, we just keep letting our egos break us apart and imagine that we're separate. <laughs> That's the illusion. So, I've blabbed on enough, but what a fun topic. I have a lot more on this Heavenly Mother, on this Mother Goddess theme. Understand one thing, and, and this said more for the ladies than the men, I have come to peace with this understanding at this point. I know there's there's a lot of people who haven't. I, I get that. I, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying, you're not going to change the mind of the male-dominated churches, nor do you need to. You know, let them have their ego trips, and we have the authority. Yes, they get to sit on the stand and electronically move the, you know, the pulpit up and down, and imagine that they're superior to everybody else, and they're the ones that get to conduct the general conferences and the the St. Peter's gatherings, and millions of people gathering. Oh my gosh, is that a feast for me, 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 I am so powerful and great and magnificent and appreciated and all that. It's all just fart in the wind in the eternal aspect, I promise. Just let all that noise go. You don't need to worry about making the mother the prominent sex. We can all bring her back into manifestation in our own lives and when we do that as a humanity it will automatically change the patriarchy without the revolution the bloodshed the hate the enslavement the vicious the wicked the evil the blood and the gore we don't need any of that mom doesn't expect it Dad doesn't expect it, and the son doesn't expect it. It begins, in other words, here, where the kingdom of God is already. Luke 17, 21, man. So, that's enough preaching, man. Thanks for watching the Backyard Professor videos on Mormonism, if you would be so kind. Please donate. We appreciate that. We're not getting filthy rich on this. It's not so that we can go buy our silks and golden crowns and fancy clothes and all that jazz. We just need to keep being able to produce fantastic materials for you, and we will for the rest of our lives. You be a part of this process with us, would you? That would be so fun. And it's a great pleasure to be able to interact with my audience. So thank you. Let me know what you want to hear about more in the comments. I will produce more Mother Goddess videos. There's no question. The Bible is chock full of her. I have several other videos to make of her that way. So, 
that's enough for now. Be good, do well, have fun, sleep good, make lots of friends, be loving and happy, smile, be helpful, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Just like the Boy Scouts say, so can all of us, male and female, be. Anyway, man, I'm on a roll. I gotta shut up. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. You really are awesome. And I'm very grateful that I'm kind of getting back in the groove and I can begin to share some ideas with you and I get to grow and learn from you while you get to grow and learn from me. Now, shut up, dude. Okay, I'm going to let you go. This is it. Hasta la vista, baby. I'll see you in the next Backyard Professor videos.